Today, I'm going to speak to us about a title, Faithful Witness. Then we'll have communion and we'll have some prayers and then we'll go home. Faithful Witness. The first thing I want us to know is that witnessing is not just something we do. It is who we are. So you, you witness not by just the things that you say. You witness by the things you do. You witness by the life you live. Someone defined integrity. And the, you know, we were talking about it on Wednesday. And the definition of integrity is that what you say matches what you do. So it's not enough that you say it is also important that you do. And when somebody knows you well enough, that even something happens and they say, um, this man did this, this woman did this, and you are not even there, but that people know you so well that even when you are not there, they come and they say, hmm, if it's that man, it wasn't him, he didn't do it. If it's that woman, she couldn't have done it. Not because you are there saying, I didn't do it, but because they know you well enough to say, mm, no, uh, the person I know is not consistent with this behavior that you are speaking of. So no, uh, no, it wasn't that person that did it. That is integrity. And it is similar when it comes to being a faithful witness. And if there is a faithful witness, it means there is an unfaithful witness. It means that there are things a man knows, there are things a woman knows, there are things that you are convinced about, but then you don't talk about. That means you are being unfaithful in witnessing about that thing. For example, maybe we go to work, and one of the things we have is that we are witnesses and ambassadors of where we work. So that maybe sometimes they send you to a conference and say, can you go represent us at this conference? It means you are at the conference as a representative, as a witness, as an ambassador of your workplace, such that whatever you do in the name of your workplace, it means your workplace has done it. You know, you, see, you read papers and they say, um, you see legal notices. And those notices are like, this is to inform the general public that this person no longer works for this company. If you do business with that person pretending to work, still work for us, you are doing it at your own risk. The reason a company will ever do that, give a public notice that this guy no longer works for us is because there's a tendency for that guy to keep going around saying, I work for, I don't know, Samsung. And in the name of Samsung, is swindling people, is scamming people. And all the while, it's Samsung that suffers the reputational damage. And in a way, the house of God is like that. 
such that if we go into society and we do not live, abide by the commandments of God, abide by the teachings of God, then they look at us and we can give God a bad name. You know that there are people that would not have anything to do with church because the church has given God a bad name. I, I say it a lot, and it is true. In this nation, one of the challenges the church has is the kind of history that people have of the church. For, you know, you know it's, it's, it's insiders many times that are able to say, oh, that's the Anglican church, that's the Catholic church, that's the Pentecostal church. It's, it's because you know church that you can make those distinctions. But people that don't know church just kind of say church. And that is inclusive of everyone that names the name of Jesus. But then you start to read history of, oh, this person was abused in the church. That person, you know, there was a time they discovered some, a set of graves in a place that used to be a church, I think in Scotland or Wales. So then people hear that and they go... If, if that's the definition of God, if that's the definition of church, I don't want to be part of it. But this is it. If there are unfaithful witnesses, there must be faithful witnesses. The reason why you can appreciate darkness is because you understand the difference between darkness and light. You know what you can do when there is electricity. You know what you cannot do when there's no electricity. If you want to test it out, when you get home, put off your lights, put off your gadgets, put off everything you have and try to leave. You'll be surprised how much you depend on electricity, on light. So it's, it's 10 p.m. in the night, the sun is in, and you decide, I'm not going to put on my light, I'm going to leave as if light is not important. You might bang your head on your door. But then when there is light, it reveals every pothole. It reveals every potential danger. Because you have light in your house, you can tell that, okay, I left my shoe at the door. I, I need to be careful because if I stumble on it, I might fall. But without light, you don't see that. So one of the reasons why God is calling us as faithful witnesses is that we can bring balance is that we can bring a contrast such that when people say, is this not the God you serve? You can say, no, that is not the God I serve. This is the God I serve. That means you yourself must have an understanding of the God you serve because that's how you can now say, actually, this is who God is. This is who God does. This is a perspective that God brings. That is why we are looking at being faithful witnesses. And one thing is that witnessing is... is I don't want you to see it just as telling people about God. I want us to see it as the whole makeup of a person your whole being 
and we will get there as God helps us. You will see that even the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are all witnesses. If you read Matthew chapter 3, let me quickly give us examples of that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the Father now bearing witness about the Lord Jesus. If you jump to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Then if you jump to John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So you see that witnessing is one of the core things that the Godhead does. The Father witnessed about Jesus. Jesus spoke of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit came and spoke of Jesus. It is one of the greatest callings that we have been called to. After loving God and being created for God's pleasure, one other thing that you are called to do is to be a faithful witness. But here's the thing about witnessing. There is a level of preparation that you must have before you can be a faithful witness. Nobody, imagine you join the company on Monday. Is there a chance that they will send you to represent the company on Tuesday? Is it likely they do that? Why not? You work for the company. Why can't they send you? <laughs> no, no, they gave you, they, they, they placed the job advert, you applied, you interviewed, they asked you questions, you asked them questions, you were happy with them, they were happy with you, they offered you a job, you accepted the job offer, and then they said start on Monday, and then you turned in on Monday, your name card was, your name tag was ready, you could, you know, you are part of the company. Why can't they say, oh, by the way, tomorrow morning, you are going to go represent us about something on a panel, on TV, on high TV, for example. Why wouldn't they do that? Because even though you are part of the company, you are not yet part of the company. <laughs> you just came. You, you are literally one day old. And... There are things about the company that you need to know. How many of you started working and it took you months to get the hang of where you're actually working? That you, you know that's supposed to be the entrance. You go through the entrance and you're like, okay, is it the second door or the third door? You're still trying to figure out the layout of the place. So you are not probably the best person to start showing people around and say, imagine if, if 
I don't know, the prime minister came to your company and, and they say, oh, the guy that came last week, can you show the prime minister around? You get lost. Because even you, you are still struggling with, there was a place I worked, it took me like, I don't know, about two months to, you know, there are like different zones to the building and you need to get in through this zone, get through to that zone and all that. And for a long time, I would go downstairs. So if I wanted to go to the other zone, I would come downstairs, come out from the main entrance, go around the building and then go enter that zone. Because I always got lost trying to go from one zone in the building to the next zone. The next thing you know, you are ending up at stores. And you're like, why am I at stores? I'm not going to stores. But over time, you get the hang of it. And then someone can say, can you show me around this building? And you are not panicking because you, you know exactly what you are doing. So that's the thing about being a faithful witness. There is a measure of preparation that God takes us through so that the hand of it, we can, we can speak for God. There are times that as a child of God, you are wrestling with certain questions in your own heart. But many times, God provides the answers to your questions so that when someone else has those questions, you can provide the answers you were given to the person. So you must see yourself as anything you go through and you come out the other side off. It's not just for you. There is always at least someone else that will need that experience. You know, there are two ways we learn. We learn by wisdom. We learn by experience. What you might call wisdom is most likely someone else's experience. So it might be wisdom to you because, you know, you have a baby and you say, hey, baby, when I'm, you know, maybe your kids want to, they see you cooking and they're like, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. And then they are standing next to the hot plate, next to the cooker. From your own experience, you, you've been an adult, you've probably burnt yourself cooking before. So you say, from my experience, child, stay far away from that pot because it's hot and it's going to burn you. To you, it's, not, it's, it's experience. To that child, is wisdom. And if the child refuses your wisdom and says, Mom, Dad, you can't tell me what to do, they are going to learn by experience. So is, is one of the best ways to learn is wisdom. Just if somebody says, trust me, I've been there and this is not great, just accept it. Because you don't want to be there and then say, oh, that guy was right. You, you, <laughs> can we help us in Jesus' name? So there's a process, there's a preparation that is required to be a faithful witness because there's no one that God will send without a level of preparation. And I must say that you shouldn't take that to mean you have to be absolutely ready before you can be a faithful witness for God. Because even though we are saying there's a level of preparation, nobody... 
has a monopoly of the full knowledge of God. Every one of us. It doesn't matter whether you got born again 20 years ago or yesterday. All of us are growing. None of us can say, I, com- I know God completely. But all of us can say, I know God to a certain extent. That extent you know God to is sufficient to tell someone else about God. Don't say, until I'm able to quote the old scriptures, then I feel I'm ready. God doesn't work that way. God is not mechanical. Sometimes God lays it on your heart to quote scriptures to speak to someone. Sometimes the person you are speaking to, they probably know the scriptures better than you. At that point, it might be that it's your personal testimony that you tell them, that you say, look, I can't help you. You know the Bible, but this is what I'll tell you. This is what God did for me. And I'm sure that if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And you say, okay, let's pray together. Can I pray with you? Is it okay? And then you pray with the person. And they'll be surprised. Many times, you know, one of the reasons why we don't talk much about God is because we are, maybe we are nervous on God's behalf. Like, if I pray and God doesn't do it, won't, won't I look like an idiot? How many of you have thought that way before? I have. That you're like, hmm, I would love to pray with this person, but if I do and nothing happens, then God and myself are going to look like we are clueless. But that's exactly the more reason why we must pray. We are not God, and we are not responsible for God. God says, God is responsible for making sure that his own word comes to pass. One, one of the challenges with some religions in the world is that they feel the need to defend God. They feel the need to say, to insist that this is how you must relate with their God. And if you don't do it, they might behead you, they might kill you, they might ostracize you. But by definition, if someone is called God, it means they are all-knowing, they are all-seeing, they are all-powerful. That means by virtue of you being called God, you are more powerful than everybody else. That means you should be powerful enough to defend yourself if need be. So you don't need me to kill people because they insulted you. You are God. Fight your own battles. You know, one of the things we say to God is that God God should fight our battles. If we are asking God to fight our own battles, why do we feel the need to fight his own battles? God should be able to fight his own battles and fight our own in addition. So you know the story of Gideon in Judges. Gideon goes... He, 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 because God has spoken to him, he took all the idols and destroyed all the idols. So the people woke up the next morning to go worship their idols and they found out the idols were destroyed. And said, who did this? And people said, oh, Gideon did it. And they were like, bring him out here, let's deal with him. And then Gideon's father responded and said, let, let, if this God is God, let him fight for himself. 
But of course, that God was not God because Gideon did not die. So we should never be afraid. God is not terrified of your requests. God is not afraid of your challenges. God is not afraid of people challenging him. So as, as children of God, we should not be afraid to say what God said. If God says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover, just go do it. Lay hands on the sick and pray and walk away. God will fight his own battles. God does the healing. God does the saving. God does the turning around of situations and circumstances. So wherever, at whatever level we are, we should always seek to grow, but also recognize that growth is a lifelong process. You never stop growing. You never stop getting better. You never stop improving. You never stop being a better version of yourself. People say, oh, that man is such a good man. That woman is such a good man. You don't rest there. You strive to continue to be good. It's like a university professor. Imagine your professor is teaching you in the university now and is, is decided, I'm going to use the same lecture notes that I used when I was a student in the 70s. What do you think that would mean? It would mean it would, 1972 today is how many years ago? 53. So the books he used 53 years ago is what he's teaching you with in 2023. It means that you'll be missing out on 53 years worth of innovation and inventions. And then you say you're a graduate. Yes, you're a graduate, but what quality are you? Of what quality are you? Hallelujah. Let me read, let's read First John chapter 1. Hmm. This is one of the qualifications of a witness. First John chapter 1 from verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. It says, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Verse 3 now. It says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. So one of the reasons you will be a faithful witness is that there are things you have seen, there are things you have heard, there are things you have perceived, there are things you have handled of the word of life. You cannot preach the Jesus you don't know. You cannot demonstrate the Jesus you have not met. If you read through scriptures, Apostle Paul was speaking of, he was trying to justify his apostleship to the Galatians. And one of the things he showed, told there was the fact that these things, Jesus himself taught me these things. 
Jesus himself taught me this day. So you cannot teach. It's one of the challenges in the body of Christ today. People teach a Jesus that they don't really know. So So they end up with a version of God, of who they think God should be. If you are God, if God is God and you are you, one of that means that you are not big enough to define who he is. Do you understand me? By virtue of God being God, you are not human beings are not big enough to completely define who God is. So it is God that can say to us, This is who I am. We are not the ones that say to God, This is who God should be. So when men say, according to this century, this is what we think God is, that's where the problem starts to come in because you cannot edit God. One of the things that makes God God is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is constantly changing, he cannot be reliable. If God is constantly shifting his opinions, you cannot trust him. Imagine you married someone and, I mean, it's one of the challenges that many married people have that the person they married, maybe over the years, is no longer the person, they can't even recognize the person anymore because the person has changed. Maybe certain things they weren't doing before, now they do, and you don't like those things or things they weren't doing before, they've started doing. Different things like that. But because the person is changing, it might affect your estimation of that person. So if God wakes up and says, hmm, I said this in the 1500s, but now this is 2023, I need to revise that thing I said. When he wants to now judge people, on what basis is he going to judge people? Is he going to judge by the 1500 edition of what he said or by the 2023 edition of what he said? So God does not change. Does, God is the one person where improvement is not possible. You know, they always say it's always good to improve, it's always good to get better. God cannot improve. Because if you are saying something needs to improve, you are saying it's not perfect. That means when you say there's room for improvement, you are saying that, oh, this thing is wonderful, but it's not reached its maximum. So you say, okay, keep going, keep improving until you become the very best at it. So if you say God needs to improve, you are saying God is not perfect. And if he's not perfect, he's not qualified to be God. So we cannot serve God on what we think of God. We have to serve God on what God says of himself. And, you know, at some point we have to, there is an acceptance of who God is. You just accept him for who he says he is. That's, <laughs> hallelujah. When we, when we, when we accept the person of God, you're accepting his lordship, we're expecting his salvation, we're ex- accepting his help, we're accepting every wonderful thing he has to offer. But we're also accepting his, the way he does things 
and the way he wants things to be done. That's why we know there is sin. That's why we know there is righteousness. There are things God approves of. There are things God doesn't approve of. And then, you know, it's interesting. People come around and say, oh, we are in the New Testament now. So the Old Testament is not valid anymore. Because, you know, we are not here this morning trying to kill a goat <laughs> to pay for our sins. You understand? Like they did in the Old Testament. But yes, it is true we do not do that now. But we have to understand that the, we have to understand laws that are ceremonial. We have to understand laws that are moral. We have to understand laws that are civil. Those are the three divisions of the laws you'll find in the Old Testament. The ceremonial laws, the civil laws, the social laws. And you also have to understand that laws are, there are laws that are based on the person of God. And if, it's that, if that's the kind of law you are dealing with, it doesn't matter whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. That law will not change. For example now, thou shall have no other God before me. It's a law based on the person of God. So whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it cannot change. You must still not have another God before him. It says you must honor your father and your mother. The principle of honor, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, you have to honor your father and your mother because God is a God of honor. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. Whether you are still, now that we are not sacrificing goats, is it now okay to go and take your, <laughs> you know, the Corinthians church, that was their problem, that the man married his stepmom and his father. Have you ever thought of that situation? He married, maybe his mother died, and the father felt he needed to remarry. So he married a younger woman who was probably maybe around the age of his son. So the son figured, Dad, she's too young for you. I'm a Maria. <laughs> so he took, he married his own stepmom, and he was bold enough to come to church with her on Sunday. And so Apostle Paul was saying, Apostle Paul was saying, you need to deal with situations like that. This was still New Testament, but as it was wrong in the Old Testament, it still remained wrong in the New Testament. Some things are right, whatever dispensation. Some things are wrong, whatever dispensation. It would always be wrong for a son or a daughter to insult the father whether the child is two years old or now the child has his own children and now the son is and now that son is 50 years old and the mother is 80 it still would not be right because now your mother is 80 and you are 50 it still would not be right to insult your mother just because some years have passed what is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. And God does a good job of presenting right and wrong in the Bible. So if we are not basing any decision we make as children of God, as a church, 
if we make those decisions without consulting what the Bible says, whatever decision we make, no matter how nice it sounds to us, is wrong. The Bible says there is a way that seems good unto man, but the end of it is what? It's destruction. That means at the point where the man was strolling down that lane, it seemed good to him, it seemed right to him, but God is saying that at the end of that journey is destruction. That's why we don't make decisions outside God, because you might know today you don't know what happens in five years. You don't know what happens in 10 years. You don't know what happens in 15 years. I, I know someone that was working in a place, and then um, the Lord said to him, uh, it's time for you to resign and retire. So he's thinking, um, Lord, I'm about to become the manager of this entire place. Um, I think it was about, was it about one month or two months away from being the top boss in that place? And then the Lord said, resign, retire. So he, he said, okay, fine. If that's what you want, fine. So this man, voluntary resignation and retirement. You know, of course, they paid him all his entitlements and everything they needed to pay him, they paid him. So he left. And a few months later, you know what happened? Something happened at that job, and they blamed all the employees in that place and got rid of all of them. So they fired them, and they fired them in a way that they lost all the entitlements and compensations that they should have had. It was the only one that escaped that place with everything. Because they, they, I think they accused them of fraud. So they were like, normally we should jail you. But we are just going to get rid of all of you. And all the entitlements, you have forfeited them by, your, by whatever fraud. Whether they did it or didn't do it is not, I don't know. And I cannot say. But the point is, God knew something like that was going to happen. So God came about six months earlier and said, resign. Take your compensation and leave. If he had said, I'm going to be manager before I leave, and he stayed, all that thing would have been on his head as the manager. So we are not wiser than God. We are not, you know what makes God God is that God can see the end and see the beginning at the same time. So he can say, hmm, this way you are going, this is how it's going to end up. But if you change course now, if you go this way, then you are going to end up that way. God is God because he knows every possibility that can happen based on any decision you make. You understand me? That's what makes God God. God, because people now turn around and say, but we have free will. Yes, you do have free will. God has not created you a robot. But what makes God God is that if you have seven options, God knows exactly where each of the seven options will land you. So God says take option two. 
instead of option five that you love because god knows that option five where it's going to end you might not like it so god comes early and says do this don't do that do this don't do that it's not because god hates us it's because god can see farther than we can see how many times have we told younger people not to do something and they insist on doing it and then they do it and it backfires and you're like well sorry but I told you. <laughs> you might not say I told you so at that point because they are probably crying, you know. So you will save your I told you so for when, <laughs> when they finished crying and maybe like two days later. You see, that matter that happened two days ago, I did warn you. So next time when I tell you not to do certain things, I don't hate you. It's because I know how that thing ends. So a faithful witness knows there are a number of things. Let me read the passage to you. Acts chapter 10, verse 41. Acts chapter 10, verse 41. It says, Not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead? So you can imagine this scenario now. Jesus is hanging on, like Jesus, the disciples were with Jesus. Jesus got arrested. All of them ran away. Then Jesus got crucified. All of them came around and saw him hanging on a cross. His body badly beaten blood flowing everywhere and then they saw watched him die they watched him taken down from the cross they watched him buried and now that same guy turns up and says hey i'm alive how many of you will first believe him how many of you will first believe him? like hey we saw you die we saw you crucified. We saw you bleeding out. We saw you buried. And then the guy comes through this and says, Hey, here I am. You might believe him because you think he's a ghost. And you think if you say, I don't believe you, he might kill you. You understand me? I mean, if a ghost, you would think he's a ghost, but like, okay, so that this ghost doesn't strangle me, let me just say, okay, I believe you. That's why Later, <laughs> the book of Acts says that Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Acts chapter 1 verse 3, I think. He said, showing himself alive by many infallible proofs. So Jesus had to go on a mission of convincing the people that it's still the same Jesus that was working with you for three and a half years. The one that was sleeping on the floor with you, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, healing the sick, raising the dead. Yes, you, yes, yes, you saw me die, but I am no longer dead. I am alive. So he had to come with them. That's why the apostles were saying in that Acts 10, 41, that we saw him eat with us. We saw him drink with us after his resurrection because Jesus was on a mission to convince them that he is 
alive. It is okay to ask God to show you himself alive. God, you, it is okay to say, you know, people think they can't ask God questions. You can ask God questions, but you cannot ask questions. The kind of questions you cannot ask God are questions that question his integrity and his person. You cannot be saying, but you call yourself God. Why did this happen? You are likely to get answers when you do that because you cannot question. Imagine somebody comes to you, you work with someone, the person needs to ask you a question, and the person starts with, but you call yourself an expert. Why is this? How are you going to respond to that person? How would you respond? If the, somebody emails you to ask about something, and the first thing they say is, but you call yourself an expert. Why and why and why and why and why? How many of you will reply that email? Say, most people are like shaking their like, no. But if you are obliged to reply, what would you say? What would you say? You probably say something like, well, hmm, according, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> You understand? But you, it's kind of email, you leave it, you walk away, you go have some tea. By the time you come back, you would have calmed down a bit to be able to reply in a way that won't get you fired. You, you know what I mean? Because if you, if, for example, maybe you're, up, you're already upset about something and then somebody sends you that kind of email, you can go off in a way that they will go report you to HR. So you have to calm down like, Hmm. Let me go. I'll reply this email tomorrow when I'm calm, and, and then you, you 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 spend time thinking about how to professionally put that person in their place. You understand? So now you go to God and say, you say you are good, you say you are awesome, you say you are kind, but you sat there and watched this and this and this and this happen. What kind of God are you? You won't get anything. But if you say, Lord, look, this situation has happened, and I must tell you, I am not happy about it. It's okay to tell God you are not happy about things. God is not raising robots. If God wanted you robotic, it would make you what? So if God has given you a mind and he has given you your will and he has given you your emotions, it's okay to say, Lord, you can see I'm crying because I am sad about this thing. Okay, help me to understand why this has happened. Sometimes you would see that maybe it, will, it happened because of somebody failed somewhere. You know, they always say that so, your provision is in the hands of some, some other person. What, it is someone that pushes the button to send your salaries into your accounts at the end of the month, yes or no. It is someone that if you want to buy a shoe, it's someone that's going to sell you the shoe. Someone made the shoe. So whatever you need is effectively in the hands of someone else. So whether, if that person is not doing their own job, imagine if the person that is supposed to pay your salary decided to take a sabbatical and just went. And for some reason, nobody, imagine 
Imagine nobody else could, maybe there's a particular pin or code or password that is needed to access the computer or the, the software that would allow you to pay people's salaries. And the guy changed the password and went to Spain. And he's chilling on the beach in Spain and he switched off his phone. Nobody, people will not be happy. But it doesn't matter how unhappy you are, you are not going to get paid. The person might come and be in serious trouble. They will be in trouble, obviously. But, but at that point, you will not get paid. So sometimes, where we blame God, sometimes, many times, it is the failure of someone to, who knew what was right and still didn't do it or who didn't know what was right. You know, people might not be Christians, but everybody has a conscience. But people, sometimes they have suppressed their conscience, that even when their conscience is trying to say, you know that's not good. You know, they're like, keep quiet. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm sure we, we've all done it before. I have done it before. That you are going to do it, and you know that I really, really, really should not do this. But, huh? Then you go and do it. And then when the consequences come, you're like, oh my God, God have mercy on me, forgive me, this. Like, but you knew. You shouldn't have done it. So if we are still in that situation, we should ask God for grace to do what is right, especially when we know that that is what is right. Everybody has an inclination of what's right. So when we're asking God, God, why did this happen? Sometimes there are human agents, there are human factors that have caused that thing to happen. Some people, you know, you know <laughs> at work, for example, we put this, so they encouraged us to put below our signature, you put some other information. So for example, on my own, after I've sent you an email to my signature, you know, name and all of these things, at the bottom it says, um, if, if this is not your current work hours, feel free to wait until your current work hours to respond. A.K.A. I might be sending you this email by 6 p.m. I'm not expecting a response by 6 p.m. Feel free to wait until when you resume work by 8 a.m. To respond to my email. And one of the reasons we had to put those things is because we had people sending us emails by 12 a.m. Work email at 12 a.m. Hey, I'm supposed to be sleeping. You understand? But so you put it there, wait until work hours to respond, or don't expect me to reply you now. I'll reply you. When I'm at work, some people say I only check my emails between 8 and 10 every morning, aka you have to wait until tomorrow <laughs> to get a response. You're different strokes for different folks. But it is what God make one thing that makes God reliable. God is always available. You can talk to him in the morning, you can talk to him in the night. It's not there are prayers you pray on the move. There are prayers that are just one-sentence prayers. Lord, just help me. You have prayed. 
there are times, yes, you you stay in, maybe like you go into a private place with your Bible and pray and speak to God and read your Bible and study. There is the place for that. But there's also the place for a quick prayer that says, oh God, please just, just help me. One sentence, just help me. It's a relationship. It is not... It is not a dictatorship. You understand me? It's just like our relationship with fellow human beings. Every rela- we were speaking about it last week. Every relationship has boundaries. Every relationship has rules. Just because you are my friend doesn't mean that you might be my friend, but there are certain things that are not part of our friendship, so you cannot access those things. Your work colleague, that's a relationship. But there are are things you don't tell your work colleague, but you tell your kids, or you tell your your spouse, or you tell your best friend. Your best friend might work in the same place, your best friend might not work in the same place, but there are things your best friend will know that other people will know. It's a relationship thing. So the apostles were saying the things that we have seen, the things we have had, the things we have perceived, the things we have handled, those are the things that we are telling you. So the question becomes, what do you know of God? What have you perceived of God? What have you, what have you handled of God that you are trying to say for God? Many people are like the seven sons of Sceva. You know them. What was their problem? They were trying to speak for a God that they did not know. So they said, Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. Who are you? That's what usually happens at the end. The devil might be tolerating. You know why Satan tolerates some level of um, things like that? Because he wants the embarrassment to be loud. So when you are doing it in the corner, you remember that you know it wasn't the first time they casted out demons in the name of Jesus and Paul that that happened. They had been doing it, they had been doing it, they had been doing it. This day they met something that was bigger than them. So they said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preached, get out. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who her? And Bible says he beat them so bad. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I said all of that to say that there are things you must know, there are things you must perceive, there are things you must handle. And one of the, what all of those things bath in you is conviction. Conviction is the greatest tool of a witness. If your conviction is the greatest tool you have as a witness. Are you convinced of Jesus that you are talking about? Are you convinced of what you are talking about? If you are not convinced of it, you cannot talk about it. And until you are irrevocably convinced of the Jesus you serve, you can't speak for him. You must be convinced that Jesus is real. You must be convinced that Jesus answers prayers. You must be convinced that Jesus forgives sins. When you are convinced of those things, you can speak from a place of conviction. 
your witnessing would only be effective when it is coming from a place of conviction. And God is not afraid. God is not afraid of convincing you. In fact, God goes out of his way to convince you. Read through scriptures. You know what it took God to convince Apostle Paul? Jesus had to turn up to say, it is, it is futile of you to be kicking against the pricks. God is not afraid of convincing you. God goes the extra mile to convince you. That's why if you sincerely pray a prayer like, God, show yourself to me. If you pray it long enough, God, and you pray it in sincerity, God will eventually show himself to you. I was watching a documentary this week about the, uh, the church in Iran. And I sent it to the group. It, the, hmm, God will help us because sometimes when we think we are doing well, then God throws something your way that shows you that, well, you are doing well, but you still need to do more. So I was watching that documentary about the church in Iran and how they operate. To, to be, they, they, they don't, so you become a Christian. They don't, they, they, they don't really have laws against maybe religious things. Is that the, the society is built Society is built in a way that it is, it is difficult to be anything else. For example, they, when they give birth to a child and they are filling the forms, religion, there is only one option. You understand? You, can, you cannot fill a birth certificate in Iran and say Hindu or Christian or no, there is only one option. You know when they say choose one and there's only one. You understand? So you choose that one. So if you want to play sports, the sports facility is not a regular sports facility. You know, like this place and people play sports at the back there. No. The sports facility is tied to the mosque. So you go through the mosque to play football. You go through the mosque, <laughs> the, the imam of the mosque, to, to play tennis. Anything you want to do is routed through the lens of religion. And because of that system, so they don't have laws that say, if you're a Christian, you're a dead man. So if they want to convict you, they have to, con they have to find like some political, they have to kind of tie. So I was, somebody was saying in the documentary that what they eventually accused them was that they were being, when they found out that it was a Christian and it was preaching, they can't have churches. So they have literally two cell groups in people's houses. So you might be a pastor and you are over 10 home cells. People come to those houses and they meet there. It is only the pastor that knows the existence of the 10 home cells. One home cell does not know of the existence of the other one. So that if the government catches one, 
they cannot torture you enough to give up the locations of the other one because you don't know or if they catch the pastor. Because it's the one that knows the 10 locations. So they will catch him and say, hey, we have found intelligence that says you are a spy for, I don't know, Saudi or Israel. You understand that kind of serious, serious charges? We are asked, what's your real crime? Is that you became a Christian. And somebody was in those places was saying that the way they found God, they will pray and say, when they start to have this thing that, okay, there has to be something. This God that other people are talking about, you know, they see Christians, God, if you are real. So people like that, many of them, that's how they became Christians. They will say, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. You know what happens? Many of them will turn around and say, you know what? One day they slept and Jesus walked into their room and started to speak to them and say, I have a plan for you. I died for you. That, you know, it's because, you know, we, we, we don't know the level of freedom we have. Many of these people in question, they eventually had to run away from the place. Some of them can't go back now because to go back is to face beheading. The, the charge is already hanging over their head. So if they mistakenly go back, they are going to be caught and they'll be beheaded publicly or they'll be hung publicly to serve as deterrent to other people. So, but when they pray, they will say, Lord Jesus, show yourself alive to me. And many of them will say, Jesus always comes himself. That's how many of them got born again. So it is okay to say, Jesus, show yourself her life to me. In fact, you will not be an effective witness until there is that conviction in your soul that you know that you know that you know. You know that the word witness is still, the root word for witness in scriptures is also the root word for martyr. You know where Matthias is? Someone that dies for what they believe in. So basically, you, you are supposed to get to that point that you are so convinced. Imagine a woman gives birth to a child. And then you say you want to convince her that that is not her child that she gave birth, that she has never given birth to before and that is not her child. She gave her to the baby. She's holding the baby. And you want to convince her that, no, you didn't give back to a baby. How easy will that be? Is it even possible? Why is it not possible? Because not only is she holding the baby, she knows what she went through to have that baby. She knows what the nine months looked like. All the time she couldn't get up, all the time she couldn't walk, all the pain, all the hospital appointments, all the vomiting, everything she went through. And then she remembers the labor pain and she remembers the baby coming out and she's holding the baby and breastfeeding the baby. And you turn around and say, I am convinced you didn't have a baby. She will look at you like, are you mad? Because that's the only logical explanation for you to say something like that. 
because she's she's gone through a process that she's thoroughly convinced of. She's experienced it. She's seen it. She's handled that baby. She's fed that baby. She's called that baby baby. She probably picked out a name the week she realized she was pregnant. She's gone through a whole experience that it is impossible for you to convince her that she did not have a baby. That is what a witness is. You are thoroughly convinced. Nothing can change that conviction such that you know that all the, all the people that Jesus was showing himself alive to by many infallible proofs, you know that many of them ended up dying for what they believed. Paul, Peter, even Thomas. I was, you know, we were talking about Thomas. It was Thomas that was doubting that Jesus rose. And Jesus came, Jesus came back again for Thomas to say, hey, look at my hands. Look at the nails. Look at because even Thomas needed to be convinced beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus is alive. That same Thomas, after he was convinced, traveled Asia until he got all the way to India. You know, you want me to travel all the way from Jerusalem to India to go and die there for what he now became convinced of. So the challenge we sometimes have is that we are not even convinced of what we say we believe. Somebody can walk to you now and start to give you 10 reasons why Jesus didn't leave. And by the time he finishes his intellectual discussion with you, you are starting to doubt whether Jesus was a real person or just a comical figure. Because that conviction is not fully rooted in your person. Every, you know what it meant? All these disciples, they, 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 they caught Peter and said, we are going to crucify you. He said, it's okay. You can crucify me. But do me a favor. Crucify me upside down. Because I, I am not worthy to die the way my master died. If my master was crucified up right side up, crucify me upside down. And he said, that's what you want? He said, yes, fine. And they crucified him upside down. Another one of them, they caught him and said, renounce this Jesus. He said, renounce what? He said, okay, fine, this is what we are going. You know how they killed those people? So he, <laughs> they tied him to a chariot and started to drive the chariot around the city. You know what that means? So they tied their hands. They tied their hands like this tie them to a chariot and then they say and then they say the chariot should start running around the city you know initially you will be running trying to keep up with the chariot which of course is impossible so at some point you get tired at some point you fall and by the time they are done they will drag that person until bits and pieces of them is littered all over the city yet when they come to the next person and say, you see, you've seen what we did to that guy, you say, yes. Say, do you still believe in this Jesus? The person haven't seen what they did to the other person will still not say no. Will still say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And then they will grab the person and do the exact same thing. And come to the next person and say, do you still believe in Jesus? And that also person will also say, yes. 
and they'll say, okay, we are, you, we are going to just behead you. I told us of Emperor Nero, the way he dealt with Christians. When he, he, he had a lovely garden, so every time he wanted to go, when he says, oh, I'm going to go to my garden to, you know, many people have gardens and sometimes you just want to sit in your garden and just relax. When he wants to do that, it's, it's death sentence for many Christians that he captured because what he did then was he had poles erected in his garden. So every time Nero said he wanted to go to his garden, his soldiers would grab a few Christians that they had arrested, tie them to the poles and set them on fire. That was the light he used to chill. That light, the burning and the screaming and the smell of burning flesh was how Emperor Nero enjoyed his evenings in the garden. Yet, all those people seen... You, you know, John that wrote the book of Revelations, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was jailed. After a while, they said, since we cannot, since let's kill you. So you know the way they wanted to kill him? They threw him into boiling oil. They, you know the way you dunk, the way you dunk, what is it? Help me, people that know how to cook. Help me, what, what do you dunk? Huh? The, the way you dunk your plantain, if you are frying it, you dunk it in oil. It goes then you bring it out and it's ready to eat. And you get a cold glass of juice and you eat. That's how they grabbed this man and dunked him in boiling oil. He still did not die. And so they, they, when he didn't die, they figured, okay, this one is indestructible. So they banished him on the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos was infested with snakes, infested with all kind of whatever. And that's where they banished criminals such that if snakes didn't kill them or one wild animal didn't tear them into pieces, when they needed to survive, they would, be, they would cannibalize each other so that they would eventually tear themselves into pieces and eat just to survive. That's where the tree, that's where it was. I was on the island of Patmos in the Lord's day and I heard a voice behind me. And he turned. And he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the golden candlestick. They were convinced beyond belief. They were convinced beyond their own very lives. They had gone beyond little, little lies. Was it you that took this thing? And then you say no so that you can get out of the, the punishment or whatever. That, they had gone beyond that. But the reason they got there was because Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Do you know Jesus? Do you know God? There is nothing like the strength of our conviction when we are talking to someone about have you seen somebody trying to tell you something they are passionate about have you seen people t- you, you 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 know someone can talk to you and you can tell when they are when they know what they are talking about and when they don't when they are convinced about what they are saying or while they are just saying it for the sake oh they said i should give a presentation i'm just going to go down and say hey by the way one two three four any questions? No questions. One time I attended a meeting. On t- they said there was a Teams meeting, so I attended that Teams meeting. This, 
they lured us to the team's meeting on the basis that you could ask any questions, you could voice your opinion. So all of us attended the team's meeting. It was when I clicked and joined, I realized, hmm, this is different. The button to unmute your mic was unavailable. So you, you couldn't even raise your hands to say, hey, I have a question. The only thing we saw was that on the right like this, there was like, you, had the, you could submit your question. So you just type your questions and put it there. And, and you could upvote questions. So you see, you see a question there, and it has like 50 upvotes, AKA 50 people agree with the question. And the presenter will just look at the question and say, oh, I see your questions. And it goes to pick a question down below that nobody cares about. And you cannot say, why didn't you answer the question? Because if you type that in the box, they will say you are being disrespectful and they will delete that comment. So we realized we attended a meeting that was dictated. They were not, it wasn't a conversation. It was dictatorship. But for us, there is, if there's one thing you will gain today is the fact that you must find the strength and the depth of conviction for everything you do especially for the Jesus that you believe in. Many, many things will come against you that is supposed to shake your conviction in Jesus. Jesus would, is God when things are good. Jesus is God when things are bad. Sometimes, sometimes one of the good things we should always do is when we are feeling quite sorry for ourselves, is that we, we should look for people in worse scenarios. In what, for example, I, was, I learned some things about Afghanistan for something. For example, you know that the American, all the soldiers, American soldiers, British soldiers, all of them were in Afghanistan trying to keep the peace until the president just removed all the soldiers. You, all of us remember, that, was it about a year or two ago that all the soldiers just left Afghanistan in one go? One of the consequences of that was when the soldiers, all the British soldiers were on ground, people had churches. So you understand, people had churches in those places. So people could go in and worship. And, and because of the heavy military presence, they were safe. And then one day, the old military presence was removed. And suddenly, all the people that were not happy with the churches that were there, they came into power overnight, and they were left with about $1 billion worth of weapons. Who do you think paid the price for those things? So now, before... <laughs> Before, North Korea was the most difficult place to be a Christian. Today, it's Afghanistan. In less than how many years? All the rights, I, I, I've read of so many women that went there, campaigned for women's rights, and all the things those people fought for. In one night, Everything was wiped. Now there are women, the women that people that were in the university almost finishing, kick them out. 
get out because they are not, you know they went back into the stone age in one week but when things come that but the christians there when things come <laughs> when things come that challenge your faith what do you do is it god you start questioning or do you start to say lord help me to stand strong i'll finish with this story there there was so a bunch of christians were captured by some militants and they took them to a beach side and they said renounce your jesus and we'll let you go so they went to the first guy renounce your jesus and we'll let you go he says no they shot him went to the next guy renounce your jesus and we'll let you go shot him he said no, so they shot him. So they got to this guy and said, renounce your Jesus and we'll let you go. So he said, I renounce Jesus. I renounce Jesus. Jesus is not Lord anymore. In fact, I don't even know that guy. So he denied. And so they said, oh, you, you stay that way. So they went to the others and said, renounce Jesus and you leave. The other one said no. They shot all of them. When they finished shooting, they said, I'll bring that guy. So they brought the guy and said, are you sure you renounce Jesus? He said, yes. And the man said, in fact, actually, we, we also don't want people like you because it shows you are not convinced about anything. So they shot him too. Yes. Eventually, now he's lost his life. They shot him too because even, you know that even Satan doesn't use people that, <laughs> let me not even start. Just bad down your heads this morning. And, and just speak to God. Just ask him to strengthen your conviction. Because that thing you think you might get if you compromise, what you would have done is that you would have lost the respect of heaven. You would have lost the respect of fellow men. And that thing that you think you might, might get, you might still not get it. So ask the Lord to strengthen your conviction. If, ask the Lord, that Lord, I am not fully convinced, but you are the one that was, you, you spent 40 days showing yourself to the disciples after you rose from the dead, such that when you now finally went back to heaven, they, it was impossible, it was impossible for them to deny what they saw. They, it was impossible for them to deny what they had. You remember the story at the beautiful gate. Peter was saying, silver and gold I have not, but what I have. Peter was convinced of what he had. Peter was convinced of the ability and the power resident in what he had. He said, what I have, I give you. What I have, I give you. What I have. If you don't have it, you cannot give it. Sometimes the reason our, as Christians we look so powerless and divided is because we don't even know what we have. Just ask God to help you. Say, Lord, help me. Help me. Anywhere my conviction has been shaken, situa situations and challenges have happened and I is shaking my faith. I'm thinking, I don't even want to go to church today. I don't even feel like praying today. I don't even feel like reading my Bible today because something happened. Ask the Lord to help you. Ask the Lord to help you. 
strengthen my conviction. Strengthen my conviction. Thank you. Strengthen my conviction. Help me to be convinced of what I believe. His Bible says we, have, we are not following cunningly devised fables. It's not that somebody woke up one morning and said, let's even deceive a bunch of people and just, and just um, say, yeah, there's a religion called Christianity. No, our God is alive. Our God is strong. 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 Lord, pray that prayer first. Say, Lord, show yourself to me again. Reveal yourself to me again. So I don't talk just about people's experiences. I talk of my own experience of you. I can tell people, I can stand before people and say, I am a Christian because I know Jesus for myself. Not because the pastor just said Jesus. Not because I heard about Jesus on TV or on radio. But I know him because I have met him. I know who I believe and I am persuaded. Lord, show yourself alive to me. Show yourself alive to me, Jesus. Again, again, by many infallible proofs. Show yourself alive to me, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If you've received uh, communion, just lift up the bread and the wine. We take communion to identify with Jesus. We take communion to identify with his crucifixion and to identify with his resurrection. So just speak to God and say, God, this communion, I take it to renew my covenant of life with you. Many, many things Jesus provided for us by his death and his resurrection. I, 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 I take life. When you are finished praying that prayer, you can take your bread and your wine. Just say, Lord, I take this communion for life. I take this communion for help. I take this communion for sound help. I take this communion for grace. I take this communion. If there is something you are believing God for, this is the time to say, Lord, as I've taken communion, I'm, I'm telling you, this situation, I want you to take care of it. This challenge, I want you to take care of it. This my son that is not behaving the way I, I, I want him to. Lord, take care of it. This this daughter of mine, I don't know what to do anymore. Strengthen me and help me. This husband of mine, I am confused. This is not the guy I married. God, do something about it. This wife of mine, I'm not sure what I'm, we are doing anymore. Lord, take charge of it. Anything, anything. Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So tell him, tell him. Have a private conversation. Have a private conversation. Say it in your words. Pray it. In. However you want to say, God understands better than you can say. But you still have to say because if you don't invite God into a situation, God does not just start fixing it. You have to invite him to fix him. So say, Lord, fix it. This is the challenge I'm having. Lord, fix it. My cousin, my niece is dying of cancer, is dying of a heart problem. But you can, if anybody can fix it, it is you. So I say this morning, fix it. Fix it. When you've done that, you can take your bread and your wine. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I declare over all of us and those listening online that in the name of Jesus, the month of June will be a month of peace, will be a month of progress, will be a month of enlargement as we trust in you. We would have joy, we would have peace. Every small thing we bring into this month will multiply. We have divine assistance. We have enjoyed the fullness of God. We enjoy the goodness of God. We enjoy the newness of God. It's a month of overflowing. It's a month of great help. It's a month of miraculous help. The kind of money we haven't seen before we see this month. It's a month of supply. It's a month of multiplication. We break forth in every area of our lives. What the capacity of a hundred men God gives unto us in Jesus' name. Every debt is paid. Our positions are changed. And every discontentment gives way to joy. In the name of Jesus. We declare this week a week of power. A a week of excellence. All our problems are handled by the Holy Spirit. Challenges are solved in Jesus' name. We receive an anointing to be light in the darkness of this world. The grace to be an encouragement to ourselves and to other people in the name of Jesus. The grace to build, the grace to find what we're asking you for in the name of Jesus. Let there be a flow of wealth, let there be a flow of global impact in the name of Jesus. The Lord answers your questions this month and the Lord grants all your requests. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.